interesting things happening at thoughtrow.com. Yes, we've added some items on the website that you might like, like books, coffee, tea, and other interesting things. And anything to help you stay and be more creative is what our store is all about, isn't it? That is right. everyone. Hope you've been having a wonderfully creative week. I'm Rod Jones, and we celebrate what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice so you can learn and be motivated from their life's experiences. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to Thought Road Podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we focus on sharing with everyone how they can think, be, and live more creatively. Okay, Angie Jones. Yes. Tell us who our guests or our listeners are today. Tell, tell our, our listeners, guests. Tell our listeners who our guests are today. I love it. Well, today we're going to be speaking with Judith Phoenix Meese, and she's an executive CV writer and transitional coach. You know, we had Judith as a guest several months ago, and we're bringing her back. Mm-hmm. She has some really interesting information to share that, in my opinion, it kind of impacts all of us these days. So true. And I think it's going to be really interesting because she always has lots of good advice. Well, how about another amazing quote from you? Okay. Well, here is the quote for this episode. And here it is. Let the beauty of what you love be what you do. And that is by Rumi. Well, that that quote is really in sync with what the Thought Row podcast is all about. At least that's what I think. What do you think? Well, indeed it is. That's why I thought it would be good to share it with everyone today. And I hope it really resonates because it did with me. Well, I also think it really fits this episode. Uh-huh. It did. So let's introduce our guest. But first, you have an important message for all of our listeners. I do. I do. You know, we've been reluctant to come right out and ask everyone. But if you're listening to this podcast, can you do us a little favor to help us out? On our website, we have added a feature where you can help support the podcast. It's called Buy Me a Cup of Coffee. You just scroll down on thoughtrow.com and you will see a button that says Buy Me a Cup of Coffee. And there you can donate as little as $1 to help us out with the podcast. We will use the money to help with production costs and website costs. So please, if you guys enjoy the podcast, give us a helping hand. Yeah, I'm really glad that you shared that, Angie. Yeah. And I know neither you nor I like to ask. No. But it would really be helpful for this podcast. I mean, there are a lot of production costs. So now let's move on with our interview with Judith Phoenix Mees. Hello, Judith. Glad we're having the opportunity to speak with you again. It's been a while. Yes, it's been a while since we spoke with you last, but our episode with you was so helpful and so popular with our listeners that we're glad to speak with you again. Well, hello to of you. Lovely to be talking to you again, and thank you so much for inviting me back. I'm absolutely thrilled. 
Well, a lot of people responded very favorably oh, yes. to your oh to your last time we had you on the show. So this is a, a treat for us and a treat for our listeners. Mm-hmm. You know, but before we get into learning about your career and how you help people, why don't you tell everyone where you're originally from and where you grew up? Okay, so I'm in the UK. I'm in the, the middle of the UK. I'm in a, a small suburb, which is halfway between two cities, one being Nottingham and the other one being Derby. So I'm born and bred. So I now live very close to where I was brought up. I had about seven or eight years living and working down in London, which was very exciting. But once I came back, and gosh, I've been back up here over 20 years, I wouldn't go anywhere else. I'm a bit of a home girl, I guess you could say. So yes, I'm I'm now living quite close to, to where I was where I was originally brought up. That's really nice because you have such a comfort and familiarity when you live near your home like that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, then also you have a tendency, I know, because we live the town where I grew up or close yeah, to that's it. That's true. And <laughs> the good news is, is I have a lot right. of good memories. Sometimes when you drive around and you go, oh, I remember what happened here, or what happened there. So I think we all, uh, there's a lot of things we appreciate about where we grew up, but I suppose in some mm-hmm. cases we go, I'd like to move on or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure that's the same for everyone. Yeah, Absolutely. I would think so. In our last interview with you, we talked about your career as an executive CV writer, but it's our understanding that you go beyond that when it comes to helping career-minded people. Tell us what that's about. Well, yes, you're right. Um, there always is a lot more to the work with my clients than creating an executive CV. It's something that I guess it's quite difficult to to put um, a title to it. I tend to refer to myself as being a career coach and CV writer. But in truth, I'm not strictly speaking a career coach. I'm partly a career coach. I'm partly an executive coach. I'm partly a life coach. It's sort of a blend of those things, which is why more typically I tend to describe myself as being a transition coach because the work that I do is helping my clients to transition from one role to another, one organization to another, one sector to another. But I guess the the common ground is that with all of my clients, they only ever come to me when they're not terribly happy with where they are and, and what's going on. And sometimes that's to do with a mismatch between their values and the values of the organization. It could be that they're being overlooked for promotion, um, quite often come across imposter syndrome. They feel undervalued. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's a whole bunch of things. So I guess regardless of what my job title is, my work, which is part of the CV writing, is helping them to understand how they feel and why they feel like that. And the reason why they're feeling like that, those are then the areas that I can start to explore with them and help them reach a point where they're understanding what they want to be different in their situation. So I guess that's probably the best way to to sum that up. But of course, it's it's different with literally every single client because everyone is an individual and everyone's situation uh, is individual. But I guess that's probably the best way to me, for me to sum that up. 
Well, I think you summed it up quite well. You and really I have did. a I have a quick question for you. You mentioned the term imposter syndrome and we actually hear that fairly often these days. What what exactly does that mean? Okay, it essentially it means that somebody in one way or another, they almost feel as though they don't entirely deserve to be in the in the role that they're in. So it's very often something that goes hand in hand with not feeling a hundred percent confident. So it could be actually that somebody has been promoted into a, a role and they perhaps haven't felt entirely ready for mm-hmm. that. So it's almost they are an imposter in the role that they have been put in, if that answers the question. That yeah, does. but that can be really detrimental to someone who's had all this experience and then all of a sudden oh. they feel this way. Oh, Absolutely, absolutely. And to be fair, sometimes people are made to feel like that by how other people are treating them and behaving with them. So sometimes that can come from from inside themselves and how they feel. Sometimes it can be how they are being made to feel by other things. But absolutely, you're, you're right. That can be a very difficult thing. It affects your confidence. Mm-hmm. And in any role, whether it's a role that you want to stay in or you're somewhere that you want to move on, your confidence is so, so important to that. So, yes, things like imposter syndrome can can be really, really quite difficult for people to, to deal with and work out how to deal with it. I suppose it can happen when you have your fellow employees are sitting there saying to you, I don't know how you got promoted. I, it should have been me. You're not as qualified as I am. And they lay yeah, all those like head trips. Toxic, yeah. Toxic yes. yeah, they lay yeah. all those head trips on them. Or your uh, superior absolute, too. Absolutely right. And I think an, another situation where I, I do hear this reasonably often If somebody is, well, either promoted or they're brought into a role in a senior role Mm -hmm. and the people who they are managing are older than them. Mm. Now, in that situation, those people can feel as though I've got more experience than you. Why are you here? But actually, just because somebody has been in a, a role or a company a long time doesn't necessarily mean that they have the right skills to take that step up into management. Not everybody can be a manager. That's very very tricky. And if if everybody was always promoted to be a manager, there'd be no foot soldiers, so to speak. You know, you'd have, you'd have a world full of generals and no foot soldiers. The world needs both of those people. But I also understand why if somebody is older and they they have longevity Mm -hmm. in an organization, they feel as though they should have been promoted. So actually, that's a difficult position for for both people. It's not the fault of the people who feel like that, who weren't promoted, but neither is it the fault of the person who's been brought in, who the the, the company believe do have the skills. So yeah, that's another tricky one. There's lots of tricky things go on in in the world of people looking for a a new career or feeling unhappy happy in a career. Well, you know, that kind of leads me to my next question. I find it extremely interesting that people have been very successful in one career will often make a decision to change careers. And it seems that this most often happens in midlife. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that happens, Judith? It's a number of things. Well, in my opinion and in my experience, I think when in midlife, uh, whatever people might think that is in terms of age, but broadly in midlife, I think you have a better understanding 
of yourself. You've kind of found your place in life and in the world of, of work, rather more so than when you're younger and you're earlier in your career. So you know more about yourself. You're more aware of what your skills are, what you contribute. You're also starting to understand, I think, what are the things that you might be prepared to compromise on in your work or in your life? Mm -hmm. What things might you want to change? And the other thing that I think is significant is certainly that the older you get, and I know it's maybe not the done thing to speak about age, it, it is important actually in this respect. It can be that your decisions around your career are less about money. And particularly if you've been in some more senior roles and you've had a higher salary, you might be in a position where, for instance, you haven't got long before you're paying off your mortgage, all of those things. You can think, I'd like to do something else. I could actually maybe take a pay cut to do something that I'm really passionate about. And I couldn't do that earlier in my career. I needed this big career in the city, in finance or whatever it might be, so that I, I'd got the money I needed to bring up my family suddenly, if that's not the driving factor, you can afford to, I suppose, take slightly more of a risk and think, OK, making that change, I'd have to have a lower salary. I'm at a place where I can do that now. So I think it's a combination of those things that it it can be more typical that that happens you know, in midlife or slightly further on in your career. Well, that makes a lot of sense, because if you're, you know, your children have grown, grown and left and your expenses obviously are going to be much less, then you can kind of pare down and do the things that you uh maybe wish to do. Absolutely. And in, if you've put your your children through college, through university, if suddenly you haven't got those expenses, I know that those things all all factor in. Mm -hmm. Definitely. They, they really do. They really do. You know, in a previous episode, we heard you say that people that are responsible for managing employees find it impossible to really talk about themselves to anyone, especially, you know, employees, about their personal goals. What has been your experience when it comes to you advising them? I mean, yes, it is something that I come across very often. And this actually is where the coaching element of, of my work comes out. The coaching part of my work, it's very organic. It's very responsive to what my clients are saying to me. Mm -hmm. Of course, when you're in a more senior role, you don't want to share anything, particularly with your teams, which, well, which, for instance, you might think it, they would see as an indication of weakness. Mm -hmm. You also don't want the people in your team to think that you're anything other than completely 100% behind the organization that's paying all your right. salaries. Mm -hmm. So there's all of those reasons why they wouldn't want to give any of that away to the people that they work with. So I think that's why when, when people come to me and they're starting to talk about their career, quite a lot of the personal things come out. And I think in part that's because you know, a lot of my questions just simply start with asking mm -hmm. why. 
Why have you come to me? Why are you interested in leaving? Why are you considering something else? And when you ask that question of why, that makes people have to think a little bit. When they're talking to me and I'm I'm a, a safe space, if you like, they mm. know that they're speaking to somebody in absolute confidence. Also, they know I'm not known to the organization that they work in. There's going to be no crossover. They can't say anything to me that is going to have an impact anywhere mm. else. I think that's why people feel comfortable sharing those things with, with me. And also, they can start to see from the questions I ask that when they are completely honest and open with me, I can then help them much more identify the things which aren't quite as they want them to be. I can advise on different directions for them to, to go in. And that's how it becomes very much a, a two-way street. The more they can give me, mm-hmm. the more I can help them, not just in terms of what goes into a, a, a CV and reflecting them in absolutely the right way and representing them in the right way. But it's that I am able to offer. It isn't always advice. Sometimes it's advice. Sometimes people just want a listening ear. They want somebody to hear them and empathize. Sometimes that's all all people need. And the more senior people are, typically they think that they have to appear as though they're strong all the time. They have to be silent about the things that they're they're feeling a bit unsure of. You know, they feel that that is the show of of strength. And when they're talking to me, they haven't they haven't got to be that. They can just say exactly what they what they want. It's interesting that you say that. And I think what happens here is you are giving them because of your experience and your knowledge and all the people that you've communicated with, you're giving them professional advice as opposed to meeting someone at a pub having a beer and sharing, you know, what has been going on in your life and why you're happy or unhappy. And of course, our friends are always going to be super encouraging. Hopefully, they're always going to say things like, you know, you're really great. We know you can do whatever you decide to do in life and all that. But when they, again, assuming when they chat with you, you're being way more objective and you're being way, way more penetrating. Because obviously, if you have a significant other, you're going to say, hey, I'm unhappy about this or I'm thinking about doing this. And they can only give you so much advice because they care for you and they want you to be happy. And a well-meaning friend yeah. is just going to yes. say the same thing. They're going to say, hey, we want, you know, I just want you to be happy. But when someone has the opportunity to speak with somebody like you, and I think I'm correct on this, they're getting objective, I guess would be the word, objective advice. They're removed from your situation, so there's no influence for her to say you're good if you're not, (laughs) you know. You're absolutely right. So there's the fact that I'm objective, you're absolutely right. I'm quite often used as a sounding board by my clients on all sorts of different matters. Um, It's for that reason. Mm -hmm. But also, and I I won't just tell them what they want to hear. So I'm objective, but I will be, I'll be honest with them as well. You know, and I will be honest if I think that, for instance, if they're looking to achieve something and make a change, which Mm -hmm. is so different, I will be honest in saying, well, that's great to have that as a goal, but the challenges for you to do that would be X, Y, Z. So, you know, it's important for me to build their confidence and it's really 
be good for important, not just good, important for them to feel good about themselves when they're looking for a new role. And that is an important thing that I do. But there is no point just, you know, polishing someone's ego if actually the reality is that they're going to struggle. So the whole thing, it is very much a balancing act. But you're right. I think people say things to me that their wife or their husband have maybe got a little bit bored of them repeatedly yeah, saying sure. to them. So <laughs> they, they, they can say it to me instead. <laughs> they come home from work and the wife goes or the husband goes, I just don't want to hear this again. Let's have dinner. You know, we often hear, we hear quite a bit, actually, the word transitioning and a lot a lot of people are often insecure yes. when it comes to changing careers, and that happens especially when they oh, get yeah. older. Mm-hmm. What do you think the biggest challenge they have to overcome when they want to change a career, especially if they're getting older? They don't want to let go. You know, there's an old <laughs> adage about even a monkey doesn't let yeah. go of yes. one limb no. until the other one is in sight. Yeah. What do they do? <laughs> It's a great question. I mean, again, as with everything I'm talking about, everyone's individual. So, no, those challenges can be different for, for everyone. But I would say most typically in wanting to make a change, the biggest challenge is that fear of the unknown. Now, that depends on how much of a change they're looking for. And it also depends on why it is that they want that change. So, for instance, if, as we were we were saying um, against one of your earlier questions of the reasons why people might make a, a, a change mid-career, not earlier, and one of those considerations is the salary. So that then depends on how much of a change do they want to, to make because the challenge can be If you want to do something completely different, it might mean a huge drop in salary. Because if you'll make a a complete change, as you would expect, you won't just go in at a senior level in that new sector. So you're likely to have a significant pay cut in that respect. So that's a sort of similar answer to what I gave you before. But so it depends on. Why they want to change and how big that change is. But for most people, I would say it's the fear of I've I've always wanted to do that. But when you've been in one particular career for, you know, 20 plus years, it is a big challenge to think about. I'm going to be doing something completely different. And also another challenge which is very frustrating, but we all know it happens, is particularly in some sectors, they can be discriminated against on the grounds of of age, which is a horrible reality, but it is a reality nevertheless. And particularly if you're wanting to do something new, you know, people say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, well, actually you can. (laughs) Well, Well, you can. First and foremost, you absolutely can. Depending on the person, you absolutely can. All of those things, it's a big decision to make a change. But again, in the work that I do, and interestingly, you've talked about hearing that word transitioning. And as I've said, I tend to call myself a transition coach because it's the closest thing to a a good description of of what I do. Absolutely. You know, Angie. That that transition, that transition is, um, you know, that can be a big deal. Yeah. Right. You were talking about people transitioning. I also wondered, is there a time when you say to someone, no, you should not do this because you're just having a midlife crisis and you need to like stay where you're at? 
I wouldn't say it quite as bluntly as that, even if that's what I'm thinking. Right, right. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm not making light of it. Um, yes, I go back to what I was saying that, you know, I, I will be objective and I will be honest. Mm. And, well, for instance, I, I certainly say to people, I don't think now is a good time to make that decision. Mm-hmm. I think that is something you could do. I don't think now is the right time. You know, I think from what you've said to me, mm-hmm. you know, finish this particular program that you're leading, this project, those things. I can also talk to them about market conditions, what I'm seeing is happening in the job market, and whether there are differences between different sectors. So I, I, I will be honest about that and recommend that people wait to make a change. Mm-hmm. And yes, if I really feel that what they're suggesting, I think I honestly don't think you're going to cut it in that particular that particular role. The, the change is too stark. I am honest. I know I won't lead people to mm. believe that there's something that they aren't because that's not kind. And it, it's not easy to say that. Mm-hmm. But on the, it's not very often I have to do that. I'll be honest, it isn't very often. But when I have had to do that, I'm always really mindful and careful to remind them of the things that they're great at. And so if I'm having to say, I really don't think that's the right thing for you, because as we've discussed, this particular thing isn't a strength of yours. You have to be top of your game in the role that you're telling me you're interested in. Mm. Your real strengths are X, Y, Z. Make sure that I'm reminding them of the things that they're great at. Mm-hmm. But mm. there's, there's no point me, yeah. you know, there's no point me not being honest. You know, I want to make sense. a comment about something you said about age. I'm happy to report, I don't know how this is happening in other parts of the world, but in the U.S., a lot of companies have realized that they got rid of the people that really knew what they needed to do. They they understood their jobs, and they were also mentors, mentors to the people that they brought in that were younger. And so companies now are starting to realize that they need to keep those mature employees because they are more valuable to them than hiring somebody fresh out of college with an MBA or whatever the degree mm-hmm. that they're looking exactly. for. They can hire them, yes. but they just don't have time in the saddle, if you will. They just don't understand yes. how to make things happen and how to make things work. So companies finally are starting to realize that getting rid of your senior talent is a huge mistake. Not and the I'm, best idea. No, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm so glad that that is happening mm-hmm. because what a waste. Yes. You give me the years and oh, years of knowledge. Exactly. Absolutely. And I mean, certainly in the UK, there are some organisations that are being really recognised for hugely increasing their more mature you know, population of, of workers. Some of the big retailers over here have been doing that over over more recent years. And certainly something that I do see, bearing in mind, you know, that I primarily work with senior executives. Mm-hmm. One of the, the pluses of a recession for a senior executive who is, I would say, in the maybe 50 plus age bracket, when there has been a recession, in my experience, a lot of organizations realize that w- when they're needing to rehire, they need people who can hit the ground really quickly. And they need somebody who they've seen everything, nothing's going to phase them. I'm not saying that 
younger people don't have this. But in an executive position, somebody who's got a you know a 25, 30 year career behind them, mm-hmm. them in terms of, of commerce, they have seen everything. Everything goes in a cycle. You know, I've, I've lived through three major recessions. So you also know, OK, it's dreadful, but we do come out the other side. We go through hardship but we come through the other side of it. So there is less panic. There is more assurance in some of those people. So weirdly, that is one of the things. Every time we've had a recession, I do see that. Businesses think if we bring somebody in who is more mature, they've got more years experience, we think they can help us get out of this difficult situation perhaps quicker than somebody who has less experience. Boy, that's very valid. That's very valid and so interesting that you've seen this pattern in the past where we go through a recession and they want somebody that knows what the heck they're doing. How to that, navigate yeah. through that recession right. because younger people just aren't going to know. I never thought of that. Yes. I never so thought cool. about that. Yeah. That's very valid. And I, I could see you in your coaching career and you're talking to people that are even thinking about transitioning. Maybe they have a skill that they've become very competent in, Mm -hmm. and then they want to take that skill a new direction. So I suppose you kind of help them in that direction too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, you were talking earlier, and I I love the tone that you have with uh, people in such, I think, an emotional issue when many people may not consider it emotional. And I suspect it's been a great asset when it comes to helping people reevaluate their career. What takes place when you have your first conversation with a brand new client? I think nurturing is a word that fits nurturing, too. nurturing, definitely. Well, that's a, a lovely compliment. Thank you very much. But you're right. Nurturing actually is part of of my role. As I've said already, everybody who comes to me, they come to me because they're not happy in one way or another. Yeah. So in that first conversation, I well, I think above everything else, they need to feel very, very quickly that they're speaking to somebody who knows what they're talking about, has got the experience, who understands how they're feeling. And amidst all of the practicalities of helping somebody find a new role, one of the most important things is how they feel about themselves and that situation that they're in. It's how people feel that generally makes them want to leave a role. And I say in my work, it is very, very, very rarely because they want more money. It's how they're being treated. It's whether they're being overlooked, whether they're being dismissed, whether their opinions aren't valued. All of those things affect how you feel. How you feel directly impacts how you behave and how you perform. Mm -hmm. So therefore, my work immediately feel confident that I have the experience to help them, but also that I understand exactly what they're saying. I understand why they feel the way that they do. And then part of my work 
is helping them to feel differently. And the coaching element of my work, some of that is about helping them to sometimes reframe what's going on in their organization, the things that are making them feel that way, Mm -hmm. helping them to find ways of look at those things slightly differently And also to know if they've made the decision that they're going to leave that organization and mostly they come to me when they say, I've tried and tried. I know this situation isn't going to to change. Just when somebody acknowledges that and then they're working with me, I can absolutely reassure them, well, this then isn't forever. You know you're going to be leaving there and I can help that to happen faster for you than you trying to do that on your own. So therefore, this current state is temporary. You know, Judith, last time we spoke, we talked about managers and how managers push a lot of really competent employees out just because they're not treating them properly. And I think the comment that you just made about more often than not, it's not because they're not making enough money. They're just plain old unhappy about how they're being treated. And we really see that as pervasive in the United States Mm -hmm. because a lot of people that have high skill sets are basically saying, pay me more, give me more days off and treat me better or I'm out of here. And a lot of major companies have lost tremendous talent. And it's, I I kind of blame it on, if there's a blame here, to those middle managers. They're the ones that are still trying to make a name for themselves. And they're the ones that are not being big quality managers or handling their people properly. And literally pushing them out and, and more often than not, not really realizing what they're doing. Well, I think maybe sometimes yes. these middle managers are, that's how they were treated. So they feel like this is the management style they need to do too. And instead of stepping up the game and making it like, I didn't like this and I shouldn't do this to other people. They don't yes. do that. They get demagoguery. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah kind of not cool. There's definitely something in that. And it's a shame because, it, as you say, it, it's how businesses actually end up losing some of their best people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, interestingly, over the last, certainly the last probably six or seven years, I've seen all sorts of employee surveys where they're being asked, what's your reason for or what would be what would be a reason for you to choose a job somewhere else? Bottom of the list, again, is salary consistently. Mm-hmm. And the two things that actually come out as being a, a, a better reason to go somewhere else is if you have more holidays, so if you have more leave, mm-hmm. annual leave. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is hybrid working, so flexible working. And that was even before everything that came out from COVID. Mm-hmm. So a flexible working pattern. Those things came out, everyone that I've seen in all those years, again, it's not salary. It's a a misconception that everybody wants to leave because they want more money. You know, it's a nice extra to have. And most people would say, if I'm getting a new job, I'd like to have more money. Mm -hmm. But when push comes to shove, it's not the main reason, which is really, is really interesting. It is. You know, let's pretend like I'm your transition coach. And I'm curious (laughs) as to what personal challenges you faced when you decided to become a career and transition coach? Oh, good question, coach. (laughs) Um, Where to begin? Well, when I think about this, this might in part be why I'm able to help my clients, because although 
I've had some similarities in my career over the last 20 plus years. And my background originally in recruitment, part of that was writing CVs. So that was a part of of what I did. But when I started to specialize as a CV writer and then executive CV writer, that happened out of the recession. And when I really specialized, that was back in 2008, the recession in the UK, it seemed to just come from nowhere. It gained momentum really quickly. And I suddenly thought I was doing mostly recruitment. I thought, I don't think I can survive this. Recruitment is always the first thing that goes in a recession. You know, there's a recruitment freeze everywhere. No one's going to spend money on recruitment. I work on my own. So it's just me. And I thought, goodness me, what am I going to do? And I thought to myself, I just placed three senior managers in three different businesses. I've got those fees coming in. And I thought, that's okay. That money will come in. That buys me some time to think about what shall I do? Shall I take a temporary job somewhere? What am I going to do? All three of those client companies went busted in the same week and I didn't get paid a penny. So I do understand what it feels like to have the rug pulled from under you. So I panicked for a couple of days and then thought, right, come on, Judith, pull yourself together. What are you going to do? And it suddenly occurred to me when I had rewritten my candidate CVs, I never, ever charged for it. I just did it because I knew that it would help them to get the job. And I thought, hmm, if there's going to be not very many jobs around and everyone needs them, I'm thinking that people might pay for a CV. And that was the thing that made me check. That was the thing that made me change direction. And having started doing that, when things picked up again and we were coming out of recession, for a while, I did both things. I went back to some executive recruitment, carried on with my executive CV writing. But I realized that actually I loved the CV writing more. So gradually, I did less and less of the recruitment and more and more of the the CV writing. And the CV writing just organically turned into this, this sort of coaching style that I have. So that's a career that has come from adversity. So I think in part, that's why I, I can certainly uh, empathize and sympathize with people who come to me because that they're at risk of redundancy. I've been made redundant four times in my career. So again, you know, I'm, a lot of what I talk about and the approach and I understand how people feel and I understand how isolated they feel. And I understand that senior execs, they again, if they're at risk of redundancy, they don't necessarily want to be saying to their wife every night, actually, I'm really frightened about this. So some of those things, they do come from my own personal experience. So, no, I'm not somebody that has just had a completely easy time throughout my entire career, as very few people are. So that was a really great question to ask. Well, you answered it admirably, yeah, and I have a better understanding for it <laughs> and a better understanding where you're coming from, too, because you have a lot of life experiences yourself. And through those life experiences, it puts you in a really good position to share what you've learned along the way and help other people achieve their goals. You know, we're going to be running out of time, and we have a couple more questions that we want to ask you. So maybe we can make okay. these answers a little shorter. Okay. <laughs> but. It, 
You know me, I always talk too much. Yeah, but you share so much great information. information. People are going to love this episode, especially if they're thinking about transitioning themselves, which right now just about everybody is, no matter where you live in the world. Or no matter where you are in your career. Real quickly, what, what motivates you the most when you're helping other people, Judith? You know, this might sound just a little bit cheesy, but it genuinely... It's about making them feel better. It really is. That's what it boils down to. Because I know that feeling of fear, if it is that you think you're about to lose your job. Again, going back to my experience, I've worked in a couple of places that were really not nice places. And I was treated very badly. And I felt as though that was all my fault until I left and then realized, no, that's just they weren't very nice people. So I know how it feels. So it really is. I want people to feel better, to feel more confident and to feel optimistic about what comes next. And they they know that they're going to get the support to get them there. But it's how they feel. That's actually the most important thing to me. Well, you definitely are good at encouraging people. Definitely. Oh, my gosh. What would your advice be to all of us when we have those days when we can't get motivated? We just don't feel like or doing it. I don't feel like doing oh, it. Yeah. Absolutely. I would say this is something that, that I do if, if I'm having one of those days. I think if you can just simply do something different, what I would call change that state, change and do something else. Because if you're trying really hard to sort of find the, the impetus to do something and it's just not happening sometimes when you just go and do something different even if you just literally go and step outside for five minutes go and put the radio on do something completely different that can just be enough to sort of flick a switch inside your head and it can just help to get you back on track if you can't do it in that day, when you do that, more often than not, at least the next day, you get up and it has helped to change where you are in your headspace. That's what I find uh, most useful. And again, that's something that I, I use with my clients and they tell me that that helps them. Okay, that's really great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And then now I'm looking at our time and I would like to ask you the question that we ask all our guests, if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past. Who would it be? That's another great question. (laughs) I have to say, of all the wonderful, wonderful people in history who I could choose, every day of the week, I would choose to sit on a bench with my mum and dad. Every day of the week, I would choose them. And that's in part because you realise as you get older, there's so many questions I wish I'd asked them when they right. when they were here. So many questions. So, yeah, I have to say, however cheesy that might be, mom and dad all day long. I don't, th- no, I don't think it is. And, all, and a lot no. of people have responded that way. And it, what, you know, people that are younger that are listening to this uh, and they still have their parents, that's good and advice. And, be, too, and the yeah. grandparents especially because – and in fact, Itchy and I were just talking the other day. I, were, I had a question. I was saying, God, if my mom was around, she could have answered that. And it was mm-hmm. some she history about our family or something, but she would know. And yeah. I, then I kept thinking, yes. God, I should have asked her that question, you know. But and you don't didn't. think too when you're younger. Yes. No. Yeah, and have but, those conversations. I can see why you said that. Jordan. And you're 
you're right into it's those things and you think why didn't I think to ask them those things well because you didn't realize that the older that you got mm-hmm. you were going to want to know those things so oh well, I'm glad to know I'm not I'm not the only person no, that, no, that chooses not, their parents not. no and that, not at all <laughs> grandparents are extremely popular and then parents are extremely popular mm-hmm. yeah definitely so, you know, we have other questions that we would have loved to answer, ask you, I mean, but you answered everything yeah, pretty completely. So, so I think you covered so much ground here. So thank you for a most interesting chat, Judith. We knew it would be. In your life, you've kind of chosen a path that is a creative one from, oh, yeah. all, from our perspective, mm-hmm. especially. And we really appreciate your dedication to helping others. That's kind of a rare thing sometimes. And you you do it admirably. So thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much. Um, as always, an absolute pleasure and delight to speak to you both. So thank you so much. Yes, it's always a pleasure speaking with you too, Judith. And we so appreciate your knowledge when it comes to people's occupation and where they're heading in life. But now I need to let everyone know if you'd like to know more about Judith Phoenix Meese, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her and connect with her on social media and check out our website. Thank you, Judith. We really appreciate you being with us. Thank you. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, Both Rod and I would really appreciate you buying us a cup of coffee. Just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a bit, and you can find that link right on our website on the homepage. It's really easy to do, by the way. Yes, it is. And all the money we receive goes to our production costs. Yep. And primarily because we want to keep our show commercial free and we want to continue to bring you the best quality content with great guests. That's right. Thank you for listening to Thought Row Podcast. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day.